0: We're going to come to God's Word, and we should treat it with reverence, shouldn't we, and kind of glory in it. This is a special, special gift to us. So we're going to read from God's Word, and we're going to read from Acts chapter 3. So we're going to read the whole chapter, so Acts chapter 3. And then thankfully for you lot, you get a break from my voice, because then Nick's going to come up, and let introduce that. So Acts chapter 3 from verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While a men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus." Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains. Thank you for its reliability. Thank you that we can have confidence in it. That when we read, we know that we're hearing from you. And that we can be fully assured that these are the words that you want us to hear. We can be fully assured that these are the words that you want us to hear and listen to. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So we're going to read on. We read um, what happened in those two um, readings. On that first reading, two things happened. Um, there was a miracle. Um, And there was a preach um, of sorts. And now we'll find out. We're going to read Acts chapter 4. It's page 1095. Not all of it. Um, In the Bibles in front of you. And there was then persecution. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and, because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, note, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed Jesus is the stone which you the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved They let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. He was positively ancient. (laughs) And this is the important bit for this morning. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles. And the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs of wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the tenacity of Christians that we've heard about and we pray that we will be shaken and filled with the Spirit and speak the word of God Boldly. Speak to us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at prayer in the book of Acts. So we're picking up the episodes where there is an emphasis on prayer. Um, so one of the things we're not doing today, not focusing on the miracle as it stands, we're not fe- um, focusing on Peter's speeches as it stands that would be another study of Acts in its own right, We you go through and look in, in the speeches. We're going to concentrate on the prayer material. And I, w- I want to ask this question, what do we most need to learn about prayer? What do you think we most need to learn about prayer? And there are probably all kinds of things we most need to learn. But maybe what we need to learn is what it is to be totally dependent on prayer. You see, I think that we think that most of the time, we've got most of life under control. In other words, most of the time, I don't need the Lord to intervene. I've got it in hand. And maybe that's why our prayer lives are so lethargic. And maybe we need to learn what it is to be in a situation where your prayers have to be answered, or you'll be stuck, or facing devastating consequences, or you will die. And I think it's telling how often, um, and this is not just our church, but in any church, prayers revert to those who are ill. Pray hospital prayers. It's not wrong. But why do we pray that? Why do we kind of slip back towards that? Because aging and sickness are areas of life that we have no control over. And when we feel out of control, we pray. And so I want to suggest this morning, perhaps, and you can reflect on this, that the aspect of prayer that we are going to need to increasingly learn as Christians in the UK is prayer for boldness in the face of opposition. Christianity has not been so unpopular or so unpalatable to the general public for many generations as it is now. And yet the call to be Jesus' witnesses still stands. And a witness is a simple thing. A witness is someone who has experienced something and goes on to speak about it. There's two things a witness has and does. They have an experience or they've heard or they've read something and and they speak about it. And that is still our calling. And so I think these chapters of Acts uh, 3 and 4 are really instructive. For us. Because after Pentecost, and you know that was that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after they added the 3,000 to the church, after they were devoted to one another, um, the next thing that happens is that there is opposition to Christian preaching from the authorities. And they are trying. The lobby groups are trying to make sure that we will have Um, opposition to simple christian activities like prayer they are trying to see that we're opposed how are we going to respond well let's have a little look at the story the first thing we're not going to do that in detail because i want to get to the prayer but let's have a little look at the story it's the next line. And just notice that these two chapters that we've read, if you've got your Bibles open in front of us, they're preceded by one of Luke's summary passages. We talked about that. We talked about those last week. And it's also followed by one of Luke's summary passages. And do you remember we, uh, in that summary passage last week, he said, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles? Well, that's what happens. That's so what happens in today's story. And then the next summary passage says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's just a note for those. I, I, I'm fascinated by those little summary passages, as you can tell. But note a couple of things, just in passing, really. The apostles, just to be clear, are the 12. Remember, there were, 11, there were 12 of them. Um, Judas died. Um, he was replaced. And he was replaced by somebody who had been with Jesus since his baptism, had witnessed his resurrection experiences. The 12 apostles were those appointed by Christ. The exception to the rule is the apostle Paul, as one who describes himself as abnormally born, to use his own words. But notice the distinction between apostles and disciples. Disciples are anybody who follows Christ. It's anybody um, who believes. And the apostles are the 12 uh, appointed ones. It's clear in Acts. Thankfully, uh, Luke is really clear. If you go back to the Gospels, then sometimes when it says disciples, it's not really clear whether it's all of them or whether it's just the 12s. And you have to uh, be careful and read it in context. But here it's clear. And so it's clear then that it is the apostles, it is the twelve, who are performing the signs and wonders. Okay? Again, you can follow this through the rest of the book. They are not the only people, but in the main, it is the apostles who perform the miracles. And actually, in those two little summary passages, it is explicit that it is the twelve who are uh, appointing, uh, who are performing the miracles. What I'm suggesting is that there is a foundational ministry, a miraculous ministry of the apostles. As we've said before, Luke's more interested in teaching us history than laying down patterns, but I think this much is pretty clear. And the 12 plus Paul, they do miracles never repeated in church history as far as I'm aware. Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. That's a ministry, isn't it? I wonder who went around nicking Paul's aprons. Um, you know, somebody who was ill and kind of I don't know. Did uh, they sneak, sneak up on him and nick his handkerchief when he wasn't looking? <coughs> and it's the apostles' teaching um, that is authoritative. So that's what the Sanhedrin are disturbed about. The apostles were teaching the people um, about resurrection from the dead in the name of Jesus. So I'm not saying there are no more miracles in the Christian church. It's not true. And there are other miracles outside the apostles um, in Acts, but they're sporadic. um, And they come, I would suggest, in times of revival. When the Lord revives his church, miraculous things happen. There is no new authoritative revelation revelation beyond the apostles, beyond the New Testament. But that doesn't mean that God can't miraculously guide us and guide his church. So that's just a few things to pick out of that story. Then the apostles are arrested. The next slide. We were also told in that summary back in Acts 2 that the Christians were still going up to the temple, Presumably for worship. And on one particular occasion, uh, Peter and John, they head for the temple. And they heal a man who's lame from birth. And he's out there begging. And it's a touching little story. Because he will never have been in the temple. Because he was lame, he was seen as unclean. He has always been outside. Um, And now, when he's healed, he goes into the temple courts with Peter and John, and he says he was walking and jumping and praising God. Um, Fulfillment of Isaiah 35, verse 6, if you want to look that up. It's a miracle of the kind of miracle that Jesus did. And then Peter speaks up. And as I say, we're not going to look at the speech. It's a study for another day. But let's note, in passing, he doesn't mince his words, does he? He's both sympathetic, he tells them they acted in ignorance, but he's direct, he tells them you acted in ignorance, but you're not ignorant anymore, um, and now it's time to do something about it. And that thing to do is you need to repent. It says to turn to God. And I guess that gives us a bit of a pattern for our Christian communication. We're not to be rude but we are here to to be direct and tell people what they need to do at the end of it. And maybe that's even you this morning, and you're here, you've heard it, um, and you've wondered about it, and you like being in church, but you've never done anything uh, about it. And there comes a point where you have to repent. You have to turn to Christ, and you have to trust Christ and what he's done for you on the cross. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Must be saved. All religions are not the same. It is just illogicality to say so. Why do people say that all religions are the same? Because I guess they agree on the fact that it's better to be good than to be bad. guess they agree on that. And what they mean by good is perhaps broadly similar. But they are clearly different. Different in the nature of God. Different in the name of God. Different in the number of gods, just for starters. And more fundamentally, they differ on how you get right with God. One of the similarities, I guess, of the religions outside of Christianity is that they tell you you get right with God by your moral performance. Some you don't even get right with God. You just go through stages of life till you come to nirvana. But then they differ in in uh, the religious rites and ceremonies they tell you you've got to do to get there. Only Christianity, and may I say only Protestant Christianity, tells you that God has made you a way to be right with him that is not based on your moral performance. Only Christianity says that. The way and the payment is Christ. It is his perfect life laid down on a cross. So there is no point trying to water that down or smooth it over. And actually, why would you want to? It's a glorious thing. God has offered a, uh, humanity a, a, free, a free pass. A free gift of being right with him. Why would we want to uh, be mealy-mouthed about it? So I trust you have found salvation. But notice it's found in no one else. Salvation is in Christ. You have to own Christ and you have to own exclusively Christ. What's the response of the apostles when they tell this? They are told to shut up. Shut up. They're put on warning. Sounds like they're, they're gathered... High priests and the Sanhedrin wanted to punishment, but they couldn't decide on it. So they put them on warning instead. They're kind of given a formal warning. And then on their release, that's the next slide, we read in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. You can imagine that maybe the church has already gathered. Do you think? Hearing that Peter and John have been put in jail overnight... Um, if I get put in jail, if me and Bill get put in jail, will, will you please? Uh, I, I'd like to think you might gather and pray. You don't look very convinced. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> they go back to their own people. Own people usually mean your own family, your kin, your kin, your blood relatives, but they go back to their own people, their spiritual family. Their brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is the key thing for today. How do they pray? How do they pray? Well, they pray gathered together. They raise their voices together in prayer. They gather together. It is dead obvious and yet dead easily overlooked. There have been times, I guess, of trouble in this church when the church has gathered to pray. Um, I think of little Jake um, in the past, and I guess the church gathered when he was um, facing death. They gathered to pray. And I guess at that point they prayed with one voice. We are in trouble. We are in trouble. We are facing becoming outlaws. And they are in trouble, your family members who don't trust Christ. They are in mortal peril. They could not be in any greater trouble. The people you work with, your neighbours who you um, talk to over the fence, the shopkeepers that you're friendly with, they are in more trouble than they have any idea about. It is life or death. Life or death, literally. Eternal life or eternal death. It's actually more important than your physical life or physical death. If we don't gather to pray with one voice, it's because we have mismeasured the trouble that we and they are in. We have misestimated the trouble. Because when people are in trouble, they pray. If we don't pray, it's because we don't think we're in trouble. There were 24 at the last prayer meeting, prayer and praise meeting. If we count Eli. Because, and I want to thank those who came, that was kind of multiplication by about a factor of three on the previous one. Well done. Thank you. It's a step in the right direction. But when Peter and John were arrested, the church gathered. second thing they do is they recognize the Lord's sovereignty. They address him, Sovereign Lord. They said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And actually, they go on to say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Note this. Okay, it's important. Verse 27. Herod, Pontius Pilate together with the Gentiles, um, Roman rule, and the people of the city conspired. They took action against Jesus. And then verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Simplest way to deal with this is to recognize that God is sovereign. Take this at face value and work outwards. The Lord had decided beforehand what should happen by his power and his will. And he carries it out. Herod and Pontius Pilate also will the death of Jesus and they re- are responsible for it, but it was the Lord's will ultimately that caused it to happen. That's what Peter says. Well, actually, that's what the whole church prays, actually, isn't it? So in Ephesians 1, we're told that the Lord works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The Lord has a plan to bring all things under uh, the headship of Christ, and he works out everything. All things, it says, all circumstances, um, down to the tiniest detail to that end. (laughs) And I think it's simplest to start with that truth that God is sovereign over all things. All things come to pass because the Lord willed them to happen and work outwards. How then do we have real choices and held responsible? Well, we're not told, but we realize Herod and Pontius Pilate did, and they're still held responsible. That is a mystery, but we do make real choices. We are responsible for them. Does that mean the Lord ordains evil things? yes. The death of Christ, the primary one amongst them. But he is not evil, nor does he do evil, nor does he condone evil. The Lord is absolutely sovereign. He's either in control or actually he's not in control. Because the alternative view of this is to say that actually people have a kind of free will that is independent of the Lord's will. We have absolute kind of uh, freedom uh, of the will. Well, if that's true, then... The Lord cannot be assured to bring about any kind of circumstance because any person could stand up and, and get in the way. So it's important, I think, and one of the writers I read said this, it's important, particularly under when we come into times of persecution, to recognize that God is sovereign. That means that he has planned everything Uh, that goes on and that he is in control of everything that goes on and also that he has the capacity to answer prayer and to change the circumstances in which we find ourselves. If we insist that people have free will then God is not actually in control. The kind of... It's the second thing. Third thing. They recognize that the Bible promises opposition. So... They quote, um, they quote Psalm 2. Now, I don't know about you, <clears throat> I don't think they all sat down and said exactly these words. Do you? It's a summary. But somebody in the midst of that quoted Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage the people's plot in vain? Kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. It's David writing about his own experience in Psalm 2, and yet it's prophetic. It speaks about Jesus. So the Bible knows that Jesus was going to be opposed. In fact, it was important that Jesus was going to be opposed. And Jesus himself tells us that we will face the same. You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. That's what Jesus says to his disciples, not just to his apostles. So how did they pray? They prayed, they gathered. They recognized that the Lord is sovereign. They recognized That Christians can expect opposition. And then the next slide, really briefly, they recognize that the servants are not greater than their master. Remember what I told you, Jesus said a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you always, uh, persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. In other words, society around us will will hate us if they hate Jesus and the idea of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. We are servants of Jesus. If they hate the master, they will hate the servants. And they'll persecute you. Put it the other way around. Why should we think that we can, we can escape opposition if Jesus doesn't? And then they ask for boldness. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Why does the Lord need to consider their threats? I think they're just saying what the psalmist says. Lord, look at what they are doing to us. Look at what they are doing to us. And I think if you read the Psalms, you'll find that's, that's a, an entirely legitimate kind of prayer. To go to God and say, look what kind of trouble I'm in. Psalmists do that time and time again. And implicitly they say, take notice, Lord. It's okay. And who are we? The petitioner's Servants. Servants of the Lord. We're the servants in God's household while the master is away, aren't we? To use those kind of parables of Jesus. We're just the servants in the household while the master is away. Responsible for it, making sure that everything is done and in order. But we're just servants. And what do we need? We need boldness. Boldness. Boldness to speak his word. Great boldness, actually. What would it be like if next Sunday you, you came back to church and you said, I had this amazing opportunity to talk about Jesus this week. I, I don't really know how it happened. You can talk to Lee and his conversation about pensions. Is that okay? Yeah. Don't know how that conversation came about. And you came back and you say, I could have missed it, but something kind of just prompted me. And you say, well, usually I would have just had my head down, but this time I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to say something. And then the words just came. It was amazing. I don't know where they came from. That's what we're asking God for asking for opportunities, eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. We're asking him to take the load, to take the strain. And we all come back and say, had an opportunity, I don't know where it came from. Had courage, and you know, I don't know where it came from. And I, well, you do. And I had words. He takes the strain. That's what we're praying for. And they pray for miracles. And we can pray for miracles. Don't know what we said about the apostles. We're not in, on a period where the apostles are doing miracles like that. But notice that quite often in, in, in other cultures outside um, the white Western world, people are convinced by dreams of Christ. Um, and we can pray. But one writer said this, notice here that while the servants see themselves as responsible for the proclamation, they see God as the one who spreads out his hand and performs miracles. There you go. And what happened? So, prayer was answered. Next slide. The room shook. The room shook. Okay? They were given a a sign of divine action, divine concern, divine sovereignty. They said to the Lord, look at us, please, Lord, look. And I guess the sense that the room shook was the Lord saying, yeah, I saw. And I'm concerned and I'm bothered. And then they were filled in the Spirit, not like in Pentecost, To speak in other languages, but they were filled with the Spirit. And they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. All the time in Acts, I think you'll find, you can check me out, every time somebody is filled with the Spirit, what they're doing is they're speaking. What it looks like to be filled with the Spirit is to be speaking boldly. Just what you know about Christ, not what you don't know. Just what you do know about Christ. The prayer was answered. So to sum up, (coughs) we're in trouble. They are in trouble. And those people in your family, they are in trouble too. Deep, deep, deep trouble. Are we praying the wrong thing? Praying that the government makes wise decisions that are favourable to Christians? It's not inappropriate in itself. We want freedom of speech. Praying that the Lord is going to save people without our intervention, it's not entirely inappropriate. But if we are not praying for boldness, to open our own mouths about Jesus, we are praying wrongly. We are praying wrongly. If we're not praying like people are in trouble... Gathered in one room, petitioning the Lord together like it's an emergency. When is it going to be bad enough for you to join in? If we're not doing that, praying wrongly. So let's pray now. Father God, help us to pray like we're in trouble. And we recognize you are the sovereign Lord. You are God in control of all things. And we give you praise that we know that down to the lawnmower. Oh, what a great gift. You are in control. And we honor you as our, our great God who has all things in his hands. And Lord, our hearts are in your hands and we ask them that you change them. Because we want them to be more in love with you. We want them to be more burdened for people who are lost without Christ. And I pray, Lord, for those who are sitting here without Christ this morning, sitting on the, inside the church but, but outside because they've never trusted Christ. Just um, ask you to help them do something about it today rather than putting it off for another day that might never come. Bless you, Lord. Just shake us and fill us and cause us to speak. We ask you in Jesus' name.